Welcome to Singing Teachers Talk, the podcast that brings you great interviews, insightful discussions and advice around the topic of singing and teaching singing. Now it's over to your host for today's episode. It's me, Alexa Terry. Hello there, with me today is a renowned contemporary vocal coach and session singer who teaches professional level singers from her studio in Marbella. Her career as a performer has seen her provide vocals for TV, film, cruise ships and jingles, and she often presents workshops and events for teachers of voice. She has also created a funky and fun vocal exercise series and a curriculum poster used by fellow contemporary voice teachers within their studios. Kim Chandler, it's a pleasure to welcome you to the podcast all the way from sunny Spain. How are you? Hola, muy bien, y tú? <laughs> Very good. And you, in other words. <laughs> oh, thanks for the translation. <laughs> yes, great. Thank you. Um, it's really lovely to meet you. I'd love to start by asking you about your story. Can you give us a little insight to how you were led into the singing profession and, and how you got going with that? Well, curiously, it, was, it wasn't the plan. The original plan that I thought I was going to be doing in my life musically was to be uh, an orchestral flute player, which was my study area for for many, many years. I I did it at school. Uh, It was my uh, principal study when I did my degree in in Queensland, uh, in Australia. Um, My, yeah, my first BMUS was, was actually, you know, it was on uh, flute as principal and uh, piano as second study. So I didn't even do voice as second study. So singing was always kind of the guilty pleasure on the side of my life. I had always sung because I, I actually grew up in a, in a singing home. My mum's my a singer. My mum is still a singer. Uh, next month she'll be 79 and she still does about two, three or four gigs a week. Amazing. In Australia, yep. So I've still, I've still got a way to go. It would appear if my mum's anything to go by. Uh, my dad ha- has always sung. They, you know, it, yeah. There was just, you know, singing and music uh, was around in my life all the way through my childhood. Um, but I viewed myself as an instrumentalist. Like, yeah, that's my thing. I like to sing, but it's on the side. Uh, and was always part of choirs and musicals and vocal ensembles and big band singing and all this sort of thing. So it was as big a surprise as anybody that I ended up as a singer and even more so as a vocal coach because the other thing I was going to do as part of my degree was become a high school music teacher, which I did. It was my one and only like proper job post-uni where I actually was um, a high school music teacher for three years and French, oddly. Uh, there are some people on Facebook that only know me as their French teacher from the past, <laughs> believe it or not. So I've got this kind of crazy background that that no one would have kind of expected uh, to hear, I think, you know, based on where, where I am now. So I sort of fell into singing and uh, as a result of being a singer, then five years later fell into vocal coaching as well. So neither was planned. Mm. Mm. So effectively what happened is that, you know, I was doing flute gigs and singing gigs on the side and the singing gigs just got more and more and more, uh, more opportunity coming my way. So I wasn't actively seeking this out. It just was finding me and I was going, this is interesting. This is interesting. Wow. 
who saw this coming, you know? So the, obviously the more you do it, the better you get, the more exposure you get, blah, 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 the whole thing kind of snowballs. And before I knew it, some years had gone by and I was primarily a singer, but it had happened by stealth. In fact, the day I realised it had shifted from me being a flute player who sang to a singer who played flute was the day that I was actually uh, booked to do, believe it or not, a Neil Diamond tribute show in Sydney, which was in a different state because I grew up in Brisbane in Australia. I'm actually from Sydney. I I grew up there um, in the early part of my life. I was born there and was there for my first five years. Uh, but um, haven't lived there ever since. So it seemed like a way to go for a gig. And uh, these people didn't know me. And I was flown down from Brisbane for this gig because I played flute and sang. That was actually how I got the gig. And uh, when they were introducing me as the flute player, I found myself bristling. I thought, oh, that's interesting. So in my identity, my musical identity has shifted. Mm. And I didn't even realise that it happened until that point. I thought I was going to be either a librarian or a nun. And, uh, or both, or both. Yeah. Yes, a librarian nun. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> See, we just we just we never know how life is going to pan out. Absolutely. And reflecting back, what has been your favourite gig, either as a session singer or as a vocalist? Can you pinpoint oh. one one favourite job? Oh, no. I literally can't. No, I didn't see that question coming. Curiously, in all of the interviews and podcasts I've ever done, no one's asked me. Ah, That is actually a first. That is a first. Uh, There are some kind of amazing ones that come to mind, but it's not just one. Mm -hmm. So I would say probably musically uh, it would be, there would be two. It would be the gigs that I did with Michael McDonald that because uh, he's one of my favourite singers of, of all time, just, you know, Mr. Blue-Eyed Soul. I adored him forever. So actually when I got rung up to do the backing vocal gig, I literally screamed down the phone and the poor guy booking me almost went deaf um, because I was just so excited at, at this uh, this eventuality. And we did we did um, an amazing first gig with the, with the BBC Big Band, um, which was, you know, fantastic and live broadcast on radio too. And then he he rebooked um, some of the backing vocals for his shows with his American band going forward from there in London because mm-hmm. uh, his Amer- American band was flying over for it. So um, we ended up doing, I think, four songs for Top of the Pops, which is still on YouTube. If you put in Michael McDonald, Top of the Pops, you, you, you will see like Sign Seal Delivered, Ain't No Mountain High Enough, you know, these sorts of songs and you'll see you'll see me younger me there um and the best the best of that run though in my opinion was when we did the royal albert hall that was exceptional and there were people like lulu as a special guest and all this sort of stuff i mean musically it was just like heaven it was just mm-hmm. other level having one of your favorite singers voices coming out of your you know monitor speakers I didn't even want to sing. I just wanted to listen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So there was that one. And another one uh, would would be um, doing uh, the backing vocals for Natalie Cole. And it was actually with the same two backing vocalists, um, which was Gina Walters. And, uh, sorry, yeah. Sorry, Gina Foster and Tony Walters. Um, and um, we were, we were a, a really 
lovely team, beautiful blend, got on really well. And again, we we uh, did the BBC big band gig with her a couple of times, and it was again broadcast on on radio too. But just just for the actual beautiful level of musicianship and just the style of show that it was, and mm-hmm. uh, there was actually, in fact, I can show you as I run over to my old DVD collection. <laughs> That that one there is actually one of the gigs, and it's just beautiful. If you can get your hand on that, it's called uh, "Ask a Woman Who Knows," and um, that's a live gig, BBC Big Band, twenty four live strings, um, and it was just sumptuous, gorgeous. And you know, we were using some of Nat King Cole's original charts, mm. so she'd inherited some charts from her daddy. Mm. And she used them. So we were literally using like these absolutely incredible historic music charts as well that I didn't even want to touch mm. Mm. with reverence of them, you know, written written by Nelson Riddle, you know, people who are really, really famous arrangers like that. So mm. they're two that come to mind. Really special. Mm. And for singers who are looking to get into session singing, what advice would you give to them on how to get involved and what might be asked of them? Sure. Um, well, I've been a session singer now for about 32 years. Yes, it is 32 years. Just, just doing the maths in my head now. Oh, my Lord. Really, that's quite a long time. Um, and it's changed a lot in that time because technolo- technology has revolutionised across that time as well. So, you know, when I was first in the session scene in 1990, which is when when I first started doing it, um, my demo tape was on cassette, right? (laughs) Cassette. I don't even own a cassette player these days, right? Uh, Things were recorded on tape, big, thick tape, right? So just the difference in technology between then and and the fact that we do everything pretty much digitally now uh, is a is a huge difference. I think you know, one of the things is um, is keeping up with technology. It's mm. really, really important. Uh, my husband and myself, um, my husband's a very techie guy and he's originally an IT contractor who's always done music as well, which is actually how we met. Uh, we started the uh, one of the first online recording services in the world in 2004. So by the time Skype was actually stable enough for us to do recording sessions online for people to be able to, you know, listen to me while I was recording from anywhere in the world, um, the only way you could do that before then was um, ISDN lines and they cost something like £100 an hour just to rent the ISDN line, let alone any other costs like the studio costs, the session costs, just the line was about a hundred euros, sorry, a hundred pounds an hour. Mm. So yeah, that was a a big expense. So um, things like Skype coming along, actually making this freely available was a a total game changer. Mm. So as I said, you know, kind of keeping ahead of technological changes is is something that's pretty important in a scene that's so driven by technology, which Mm. um, recording obviously is. Um, so some other things that, that are important for a, a session singer's skill set is your technique absolutely needs to be completely on form. You, that, you know, that you need to be able to be quite gymnastic vocally mm-hmm. and 
have a very robust kind of, you know, stamina level because there are times when you've got to sing for hours and hours and hours, especially if there's a tight deadline, which can often be the case with, say, things like the cruise line backing vocal um, jobs that I do. Sometimes um, I've got to sing for five, six, seven hours a day up to the top of my range, to the bottom of my range all day, and they've got to be sent that night to the ship because that show is on tomorrow, Mm. right? So I can't turn around to the person that's booked me and say three hours in, you know, halfway, uh, my voice is starting to tire. Uh, Can we do this tomorrow? There is no tomorrow Mm. sometimes. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, just having a a technique that can, having a voice that's so well-trained that you can do, you know, you, you don't have to question in your mind, can I do that or not? Mm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, having a quite generic sound uh, because a session singer, in order to get enough work to make it a substantial part of your income as a, as a self-employed person, you need to be not noticeable. So if you have a really, really obvious signature sound, you're best off being an artist. Mm. Because the session singer needs to blend into all different situations doing all different things where you don't want to say, oh, there's that voice again. Oh, and there it is again. Oh, and is it, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that, that can actually be a sticking point for a session singer, not necessarily um, a good thing. Mm. Um, you need to have great ears. That's number one. Uh, whether you can sight read or not is, is certainly a benefit, but it's it's not crucial like having a good ear is Mm. everyone who wants to do session work whether they read or not needs to have a great ear a great ear for tuning a great ear for timing a great ear for harmonizing for doing double tracks triple tracks this is where you you know um, record yourself several times exactly the same so all of that sort of thing is 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 pretty critical Mm. Having a good business sense, you, I mean, that kind of goes for really anybody who uh, makes a living as a self-employed person, you know, in, in, you know, we all need good business skills as, as much as that can be quite boring to us mm. creative types. It's just one of those necessary things. Um, but particularly for session singers, um, because you've really got to stay on top of bookings and invoicing and royalty streams and all, all of this type of thing which is mm. not really that relevant to people who do a lot of like live gigs, say. Yeah. So there's some things just off the top of my head. Mm. And how do you actually get to book a job? Is it very luck-based or is there like a route to follow? Yeah, the, um, the route that I followed in doesn't exist anymore because it happened so long ago. <laughs> The music industry has kind of it's kind of moved on uh, since 1990. But um, some how I personally get booked these days is because of having such longevity in the field. Um, I I do have a very wide net of of kind of clients these days, and so a lot of it is just repeat booking. From you know, it can be people I work with regularly, like in the in the jingle scene and things. There are some people that we work with on a really regular basis there to people I haven't heard from in 10 years that have a job that pops up out of the blue that I'm the right voice for. And so they will contact me that many years later. It can be literally anything between those two extremes. Mm. 
Uh, and as I said, that you know, I don't actively sort of sort of look for work these days. Uh, I get enough work from repeat bookings, but that literally comes from just how many years I've been doing it. Mm. And the fact that I can do a whole wide range of musical styles and different types of voices, also different languages, different accents, because you'd think that that might be more important for a voiceover, a voiceover being someone who speaks uh, on, uh, you know, on various adverts and Mm. films and TVs and documentaries and things like that. Uh, but there are jingles that I have to sing, like, you know, just a few days ago, I did a jingle for the US. So here I am an Aussie, well, a brozzy, really, because I've got, you know, a British passport and an Aussie part, passport, so I'm a brozzy, <laughs> a brozzy living in the Costa del Sol. There you go. Uh, but uh, doing a jingle that is going to be on air in the US. I can't sing it with my standard accent. I have to sing it with an American accent for it to sound right in the environment it's going to be played. Mm. Uh, I have to sometimes do other languages, you know, phonetically. I don't necessarily have to understand a language, but I've sung, you know, in French and Italian and, of course, Spanish and various types of German, Polish, Danish, Bulgarian, Afrikaans, off the top of my head, they they are some languages that I've done jingles in those languages over the years. Yeah, you, you need to be able to follow the orders of what the job is, hmm. and it's it's part of it's that that I actually really like. I love the challenge of not knowing what I'm going to be needing to do next. Hmm. You know, the next thing that comes through the door. Um, like you know, for example, um, there, uh, there's a, a TV series on Amazon Prime this year called The Wheel of Time. And I've sung a song on that called, um, well, the C-I-S Sedai, which is A-E-S and then a separate word, S-E-D-A-I. They are the women warriors in the whole uh, series. And there's a song called Servants of All, Servants of All. And it comes in in the credits from episode three onwards and that it's in every episode that I've seen so far since and I'm up to episode seven. And it's my voice in a way that I don't even recognize my own voice because I'm having to sing it in a character voice as a warrior woman, mm. right? I didn't know I was going to need to do that until the job came in, right? And they said, we need you to sound like not really a singer, but an, an, a medieval style warrior woman, mm. okay? Um, and singing in a fantasy language mm. as well, right? So here was I thinking it might have been Gaelic, it weren't Gaelic. It just was Gaelic-like, but it's actually sung in a fantasy language like Elvish or Klingon mm-hmm. uh, called Old Tongue. So, you know, I don't know what I'm going to be asked to do. Mm. It can literally be as, as kind of random as that. But as I said, I find that really invigorating and challenging. Uh, and it's like, oh, let me see if I can do this. Do you know what I mean? Um, I, I, I kind of love that. But how I often describe session singers to other people who don't know what session singers do because it is largely a hidden art form mm. it's a hidden, it's a, you know, a largely a hidden world it's actually really difficult to, to find out th- that much information about it right um but basically how i describe it to people is we are sort of like the heptathletes or decathletes of the singing world mm. so 
where you have your Usain Bolts and people like that who are the best at what they do in the singing world, if you understand the analogy that I'm using, the session singer is really good but not necessarily to the, you know, world-leading uh, level in the, in one thing. Mm. Their world-leading ability is actually in being able to do a lot of things, like mm. a heptathlete or a decathlete. So a heptathlete or decathlete is not the best in any of the sports that they represent, but they're very, 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 very damn good mm. at, at what they're doing and, and can be relied upon for that versatility. Mm. And versatility is the bottom line. So, uh, you know, I specialize in any session singer who makes it, you know, a decent living out of it. We we are specialists in versatility. Mm. That's what I've realized over the years. Which highlights this real need or benefit from playing in our sessions with lots of different sounds. Absolutely, absolutely. So, and and besides, you know, if people don't actually you know, want to become a session singer, which makes complete sense because it's a pretty, it's a pretty weird job to be fair, right? No audience, you know, just locked in this funny padded room, which is what a studio is, right? Mm. It's pretty, it's a pretty weird headspace if you think about it, right? Doesn't suit everybody. <laughs> Basically, even if people don't want to become a session singer, um, and most people won't suit session singing either to be to just to be kind of quite blunt about it i think it's it's far more normal for people to want to be out there doing their own thing with a real audience and blah 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 right but just the experimentation alone is fun mm. and really good for us as human beings so on that level alone i think it's worth doing You've worked with some really high profile clients and some who you are working with currently are people like Paul Young, Oliver Sykes of Bring Me the Horizon and Sam Fender. So what do these sessions usually entail and how might they differ from the, the non-professional singer? What, what sort of things are you working on if you're allowed to give us a little insight? Yeah, I, I can, obviously, I can only be quite generic in, in what I'm about to say. Um, but just to give a little bit of a timeline to how the vocal coaching side came came on board, because I, I really do still have a dual career of pretty much equal. Um, oh, speaking of Paul Young. <laughs> Hi, Paul. Yeah, that's so funny. What time? His ears must be burning. Um, that, that's so funny. They, they're different to each other by about five years. So 32 years as a session singer, 27 years as a vocal coach. I didn't want to be a vocal coach. I felt in the early stages of my own singing career that I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just doing it on instinct. Obviously, people were looking at the, the, the profile of stuff that I was doing and going, I really like your voice and I really want to be doing what you're doing. How do you do what you do? And, I, and for years, I deflected those inquiries and said, I don't know. I have no idea. Mm. You know, I'm just do, I'm do, I am just doing it, you know, and then I sort of thought to myself, this is a bit silly because I am a trained teacher with a degree as a teacher, music teacher, but nonetheless, I had the structure of teaching. So I thought, really, I probably need to swat up on how this singing thing actually works mm. and start taking this more seriously. So that's actually how that all kind of kicked off, if that makes mm. sense. So fast forward to today um, where, you know, 27 years later, um, I've been through teaching beginners back in the past, doing lots of institutional teaching for like 
I did 10 years at London College of Music as a senior lecturer, uh, three years at Leeds College of Music, or sorry, Leeds Conservatoire, as it's known now, um, as a principal lecturer. So, you know, uh, I've done you know, taught at loads of colleges and things like that. But these days I'm completely freelance mm-hmm. and uh, I only coach professional singers, signed artists and uh, other vocal coaches who want to sort of train in, in CCM, which is uh, contemporary commercial music. So getting back to your actual question, which is what is the sort of thing that we do, it's for a start, it is not singing lessons. I am not a singing teacher. As important as that role is, and it is absolutely critical that we have loads of singing teachers in the world, otherwise we won't have the type of people that I coach, right? Everyone's got to start somewhere. So singing teachers build voices. They build voices from the, the, the rudimentary building blocks of singing and music. Thank God. Hurrah. However, on my end, just like Tiger Woods's golf coach or Andy Murray's tennis coach, these are not people who teach them to play tennis or play golf, right? Mm. They are optimizers. They are people who can look in in 3D at exactly what these people are doing and make suggestions on improvement, refinement, optimization, uh, stamina building, that type of thing. Mm. So that's really what I'm doing is optimization sessions with the clients that I'm with to Mm. make them the best version of themselves that they can be and therefore, you know, be relied upon when they're out there doing all the tours and festivals and TV shows and stuff that they're all doing right now. There's tons of work now happening, thank God. Um, And, you know, this optimization process, this enhancement gives them the best product that they can give to the the public, Uh, but also they can be relied upon uh, for night after night after night after night out on tour. Mm. So, yeah, that's pretty much what I'm doing. But also... When you're dealing with people who are putting their voices under immense pressure, it's not um, unexpected that I also invariably, unexpectedly, sorry, expectedly deal with the um, the medical side of the voice, not in an official capacity because I, I'm a vocal coach, so I don't have a medical remit, but I do and have done for the, about the last 13 years. I have worked uh, with a lot of the leading ENOs and throat doctors in the UK um, and speech therapists uh, and vocal rehab coaches um, in the final phase of rebuilding singers who have had some sort of voice crash, Mm. um, you know, be it sort of injury or, you know, requiring surgery or not requiring surgery or, you know, some some sort of vocal condition or lesions or MTD or whatever it is that's, that's happened. Once they're brought back to baseline vocal health, Someone like me, and I call myself a rebuild coach, athletic rebuild coach, because I don't know what else to call myself in, the, in, in that role, uh, to help take them from, the, from actually baseline vocal health to athletically rebuild them in readiness for performing again. Mm. And it's, it's very challenging work, but joyful. Mm. Mm. And with your elite performers, are you noticing that there has been any shift in the external pressures at the moment, whether that is a positive thing or more of a challenging thing? 
Um, so, yeah, on the positive front, loads and loads and loads and loads of performing going on again, right? So the festivals are back, tours are back, normal gigs are back, right? So all of that is fantastic. Lots and lots and lots of opportunity going on again. So that's just like, hurrah, we're back. On the challenging side is tour schedules um, or performance schedules in general are gruelling because people have got to make hay while the sun shines, which we know is quite short for the summer, for the summer festival season in the in the UK, because you know, I have majority UK acts, even though I, I, I live in Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do, obviously we do most things online, but some of them fly down to do in, intensive coaching with me for two or three days up to a week. Um, in fact, I'm pretty much you know, booked up with that right now. <laughs> which is kind of nice if people are actually coming down in person again, which is like, hurrah, that's another positive, I guess. Um, but, um, yeah, so grueling tour schedules, meaning that people, you know, have a lot expected of them in a short period of time. Mm. We also have insane levels of illness in the community just right now. I realise that this being a podcast is likely to be around for a while um, this will only make sense in the wave that we find ourselves in just right now. Goodness knows what's going to happen in the in the future, but right now we are in a massive wave of COVID and other other things um, that beset singers um, and their voices. Like there's loads of laryngitis, voice loss as a result of the laryngitis. We've got loads of tonsillitis going around, and um, Omicron variant um, BA4 and 5, which is coming with sore throats, voice loss as well, right? And monkey pox and chicken pox and you name it, um, you know, things have just gone mad uh, as a result of things that people can pick up out there in the community and that is happening as Mm. well. So what are your elite performers able to do at the moment to help manage these waves of illness? Are there managers understanding? Does there need to be any more education in that realm, do you think? Or what are you seeing? Um, uh, No, I think um, managers and sort of, you know, tour leaders and things seem to be becoming, becoming much more aware of lowering infection risks just by kind of general behavior on tour and things. But I'm, I'm actually suggesting to my um, clients that they perhaps consider going back to mask wearing in public uh, Mm -hmm. with N95 or the um, FFP two or three level, not just standard blue a surgical mask, but ones that actually can provide some some proper protection out there in the world. Uh, also, when they're flying, and there's lots of flying going on too, again, ha-ha, another benefit, um, getting people to wear humidity flyers, mm. which is a device that people may or may not have heard of, um, humidiflyer.com if you want to look it up, um, is a very elegant solution of a, a it's a, a, a clear plastic mask that goes over your nose and mouth when you're on a flight that actually has the um, dual benefit of recycling your breath moisture back to you, which we absolutely need in the low humidity and on a plane. 
because the humidity levels are actually the same as a desert. And I've, I tested that on the last lot of flights that I did out to Australia and back mm. uh, a couple of months ago. I actually had a hygrometer with me, which is a humidity reader, and it was between 18 and 20% when the ideal is about 45 to 55%. Wow. So, uh, and in fact, the, uh, the annual average humidity of the Sahara Desert is 25%, if that gives oh, you wow. anything, right? So it's a very elegant solution for recycling your breath moisture back to you, which we just lose out to the, uh, the environment otherwise mm. on, the, on a plane uh, and gives you at least some protection as well from um, airborne contaminants on a, on a flight. So that's yet another thing that I suggest to people as well as you know, the standard stuff of you know, um, regular hand washing, just staying away from people who are, who are obviously sick. Mm. You know, kind of common sense stuff, really. Yeah. Mm. And no weird things. Like, you know, people so often, I, I get it, I, I understand it, but people want from a, from a vocal coach the magic wand. Like, just tell me, I've got laryngitis right now, my voice is gone, what is the magic wand thing that I can take or sniff or, you know, use as tea or whatever that will bring me my voice back now? It's like love that doesn't exist because if it did exist, we'd all be multimillionaires by now. Yeah. So all just common sense stuff is what I generally try to pass on. Mm, mm. And you have some really cool products for us that Aww. we can purchase. And um, one is your curriculum poster, which can help us to kind of understand how to introduce and work on CCM with singers in the studio. Can you talk us through that poster and let us know oh. where we can get one for our studios. Yes, Um, basically how it came about, and obviously I can show it to you here, it's rather large. Very colorful. It's A and colorful, I love, I do love a bit of color, me. Um, So yeah, basically uh, A2 size is four times A4. So it's it's really quite large, but looks lovely in a frame or laminated. uh, And it is designed for the teaching studio wall or for people who are really, self-paced you know like there are plenty of singers out there that actually just want a self-development guide mm. and it can be for them as well so how it came about is it's actually an updated version of the conclusions page believe it or not just showing this to you you can see london college of music 2001 right so my master's thesis all the way back then had a conclusions page that was pretty much exactly this. And I had cause earlier this year to have a look back at my master's thesis. And when I saw this, mm. so you're seeing seeing the evidence, right? When, yeah. you saw, when I saw this, I thought, actually, here we are 21 years down the, down the track. I was only a fairly early stage teacher at this point in, in the scheme of things. And I was shocked at actually even in the early days of ccm pedagogy which it was at that time um it didn't need that much updating mm. really do you know what i mean you know, a bit of argy bargy and 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 bringing it completely up to speed now but i was pleasantly surprised at actually how it stood up um so then you know there was a, a kind of a cool story that's a, a bit probably long and involved to go into now um but it turned out that noel mcpherson from compton publishing uh, was was more than happy to take this project on. Um, and it's the first of its type that I'm aware of mm. in the world. Because as you would probably know, Compton being a, a UK-based publishing house is 
you know, mostly about books. Mm. And books are great, but books do tend to sit in bookshelves mm. and they're not necessarily so readily available like a poster presentation is to go, yes, you know, I'm maybe doing too much of that and not enough of that and I didn't even know about that. Mm. And, and, and where the content came from is I took my years as a performer at that point and, and basically deconstructed it, reverse engineered it, and, you know, the, the other singers around me as well and said, mm. what skill set and knowledge base do people need to be able to do well or give themselves the best chance of doing well in this ECM world? What, what do they need? Mm. So that's where those those headings came from. That's where the, the bullet point content came from was where do we want to be? And so what are, what, what are the actual building blocks to get to, to that point? So that's really where it, where it came from. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so Compton, Compton C-O-M-P-T-O-N, Compton Publishing. Uh, and if you look up, you know, my name or just, you know, curriculum outline poster or something, it's, it's on the homepage, so it shouldn't be sort of too difficult to find. Um, but, but also this, the, the, the very colourful border, is from my Funkin' Fun exercise series, which has been around forever. That's, I mean, Funkin' Fun 1 actually came out in 2000. Oh, amazing. Right? That, that's how long they've been around. And my thinking at the time that they came out was that for, you know, I was pretty bored with piano accompaniment, everything for vocal exercises. I think that's something we've inherited in the CCM world from the classical world mm. and pianos are just not really a big thing in pop. They're mm. just not. I mean, unless you're Adele, uh, who, who does love a piano accompaniment. Generally the piano is, is not that big an instrument in the pop world. So why we're spending as CCM coaches so much time leading from the piano, expecting people to be able to get notes from the piano. There, there are people that I've come across who are what I call piano deaf Mm. But because they haven't grown up with a piano, when you actually play pitches on the piano, it's like they they can't really process it very well. Mm. And if you sing to them, they go, ah, that's a note you meant, right? Yeah. So I didn't really, you know, I understand historically how we've kind of, you know, ended up where we are, but it's, you know, it, it's time to move on really mm -hmm. uh, into vocal exercises being based on what sounds like the sort of music that you're going to apply it to. Mm. So unless everyone's doing piano accompaniment with their with their singing, mm. it doesn't necessarily a, a apply that that well in my experience. Although that said, people like Daniel Zangerbork, one of my favorite coaches, and his his product's just amazing. If you haven't heard of him, you need to look him up. With how funky asked he plays, I don't care that it's on piano. It's all good, yeah. but it's it. But just to explain that the reason that Funky and Fun exists is because I wanted poppy, funky tracks to accompany the exercises, so it wasn't just literally. It's like wow. no, right? It needed needed to be something a, a bit yeah. more engaging than that. Yeah. Um, some other things too is the fact that it's sung with a pop voice, obviously not a classical voice, so that pop people or CCM people can relate to the singing more mm. um also i bring in loads of different scales and modes and you know um the, the fact that not everything is based 
on major tonality, which is another bugbear of mine, is that so many, probably 99% of vocal exercises are based on major patterns. Mm. Why, 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 why? When, when so many of the songs that we sing in the pop world are minor tonality, if anything, we should be doing more minor than major for mm. it to actually reflect current music tastes. Mm. So there's all sorts of, you know, reasons for, for why why funky and fun is what it is what it says on the tin. Yeah. And and you know, lots and lots and lots of uh schools are using it, teachers, your private teachers are using it in their lessons. Um, loads of touring acts, ones that I don't even necessarily coach, are using it as well as warm-ups and workouts mm. to get their voices in shape. I mean, funky and fun has a way more sexy and celebrity life than I do. Yeah. Way more. It gets around. <laughs> it gets around. It gets around in all sorts of places I don't expect. I love that. And where can we get that? That is funkinfun.com. So literally funky and then the letter N and um, F-U-N.com. Uh, it it's, has its own dedicated website. It's um, MP3s and it's about three hours of materials, 94 different exercises on four different products. So, you know, it's very comprehensive. It'll, it'll, it'll keep you all pretty damn busy. Amazing. <laughs> either, either for us as singers, but also, you know, for teachers to, to use in lessons, you know, mm. there's, there's a lot on there. Brilliant. That's Amazing. for sure. And then there's also, um, so the, the, the post is quite a, a, a recent product um, that's only come out this year. And another product that has actually come out this year as well is like uh, a taster version of Funky and Fun on musicgurus.com oh. website uh, that has a lot of really good singing programs now from Juliet Russell, Rachel Lines, uh, from John O'McNeill doing, you know, riffs and runs. His one's like brand new. Mm. Um, but mine's called Funky Fundamentals for pop singing. And what I've done is I've taken... 28 of the 94 exercises from Funky and Fun, turn them into four levels of this online course, but each has video introductions. I, I do video introductions and explanations, and that's unique to that product. Amazing. Yep. Right, so, so, so if people like that and they go, oh, yes, I really enjoyed those 28, there's another 66 yeah. <laughs> on the rest of the program uh, to, to, to move on to. Amazing. And I have one final question in terms of resources, because yeah. you like to continue your um, reading and keeping up to date with the latest science. I'm very, very inquisitive. Yes. Yeah. So I what am. is what is a resource that you think, other than your series, of course, um, that we should have either on our bookshelves as a downloadable content, YouTube channels, what's your kind of go-to resource? My right go. Now? Oh, that's a, yeah, that's really good actually. Um, let me go over here and grab, speaking of books. Oh no, did I lend it out again? That's a good sign. <laughs> uh, it, it is actually a really good sign. I can't find my copy of it right now. That must be because I've lent it out. Yeah, basically there's um, there are some excellent CCM books out there, like Daniel Zangerborg, who I was referring to before, The Ultimate uh, uh, ultimate Vocal Voyage. Uh -huh, that, that one is here. The Ultimate Vocal Voyage. Um, fantastic book. Really great exercises. In fact, my all-time favourite vocal exercise of all time is one of his, not one of mine. 
Amazing. Uh, yes. So him definitely. Uh, Training Contemporary Commercial Singers by Elizabeth Benson is also, uh, which is a, another book on Compton as well. Um, fantastic resource because it has 26 CCM pedagogues, including myself, but obviously 25 others from around the world, some mm-hmm. of whom are really, really right up there. We're talking Seth Riggs and, you know, Catherine Sadelin from Complete Vocal Technique. Uh, and she, she, basically there's lots of different topics. Each chapter is a topic and all 26 of us give our take on that topic. So you get this really interesting spread of opinions and experiences and things from from that book. Mm. So I think there are a couple of books off off the top of my head that I would definitely recommend. Um, As to YouTube channels, definitely uh, Natalie Wise's um, YouTube channel called Breaking Down the Riffs Mm. is fantastic. And I do love that YouTube videos these days have in the settings, if you little settings wheel down the bottom, if you go to the settings wheel, wheel, you'll see playback speed. So if you're struggling to work out the notes in a fast run, mm. actually put it at 0.75 playing speed or 0.5, so 0.75 being three-quarter speed mm. or 0.5 being half speed, and it keeps it in the same key. Amazing. And you can actually slow the whole thing down and hear the, the details. Mm. So that's, you know, something that um, is, is really, really helpful. Mm, absolutely. Um, I also love John Fluker's um, fun vocal exercise for fun exercises for vocal improvisation, I think is the name of the title. Fluker is spelled F-L-U-K-E-R. It was actually John McNeil that put me onto him, but he has just got the most exquisite black gospel yummy voice, sings completely a cappella just sings these sumptuously gorgeous and lush um, riffs. There's 60 of them on on that product. And he does them in keys. So like there's 12 keys and he does five per key. So there's actually 60 of them. And they they are really, really beautifully sung. Mm, Great. So there's some things just off the top of my head of other people's resources. Yeah. Thanks so much. Well, Kim, it's been really great to connect with you and thank you so much for your time today. Where can people find out more about you and get in touch? You've mentioned your product uh, website there. Yeah, um, hopefully the the links will be, you know, on the the written version of this um, anyway. But um, my very (laughs) out-of-date website, which is kimchandler.com, so K-I-M-C-H-A-N-D-L-E-R.com. There's funkinfun.com, which we've just discussed, um, my uh, recording service that I was referring to before that my husband and myself run is virtualvocals.com. And the other um, social media links, well, there's many and various. My Twitter handle is actually at Kim Chandler Vox. Both my YouTube channel and Instagram are at Kim Chandler Singer. And then the Compton link and the Music Gurus link um, is a little bit more longer and complicated. So you're, that that will just need to be seen on the page, I think. Or just go to their go to their websites, their generic websites, and just look it up. Amazing. Well, thank you, Kim, and enjoy Marbella today. Thank you. Yes, it's uh, yes, it's it. I think if you can't enjoy Marbella, um, there's there's something very wrong.
If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, make sure you sign up to our mailing list. You get our latest blogs fresh off the internet and we'll let you know about any upcoming courses, events and goodies that The Voice World brings our way. All you need to do is tap that link in the episode description and let us know where to send them.